mini-episode 1292 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at Sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late-night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini, episode 1292. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here, and we have a very unique segment in the history of the show, and we may never have another one like this ever again. We're calling this our 2020 college football preseason slash midseason show, and that being because of the pandemic that we are in. Of course, it is a greatly staggered schedule of games this year. Many mid-majors are far into their season at this point, the SEC as we record, this is uh, not quite a month into their season. They're coming up on it. The Big Ten is starting this weekend. The Pac-12 will be kicking off subsequently. Uh, my Ohio University Bobcats will be part of Maction, which will be uh, a lot on in the month of November. So the MAC will be coming back. And uh, again, whenever we're talking about any of these subjects, we always would like to be doing so with a good friend of the show. Uh, that being, of course, Fran Stuckberry of Our Sports Central. He runs uh, one of the most popular fo uh, Facebook football pages you will find anywhere, Gridiron Access. Uh, go like that page because uh, he is just a wealth of uh, information on there as far as directing you to the top stories of everything that's going on right now. And I would also say, too, an honorific that I am probably tardy in bestowing as well over a period of time as a turn of respect uh, FDH Lounge Dignitary, but Fran Stuckberry is all these things and much, much more. He's a guy who watches more football on more levels than anybody else I know. So who better to talk NCAA football with? And if you've caught our past segments with him, you already know all that. Fran, welcome back onto the show, my friend, in this ultimately very unique year. Let's hope it's unique anyways. It's been a definitely unique year. We have COVID, we have a virus, we have teams canceling seasons and coming back. We have a a mix-up, um, mixed bag of football to talk about, college football to talk about. We really do, and I will say to you that what I've said previously on the show, and I had said this, and I was very, very dubious that any sports that didn't go into a bubble were going to make it through this thing. The NBA and the NHL were even more successful than I thought they were going to be in making it through unscathed once they got going. MLB is about to prove me wrong. They got off to one of the worst starts you can imagine with some of the early outbreaks with Miami and St. Louis, respectively, but they managed to make it uh, through. The World Series will commence. Uh, it, it has commenced. It will wrap itself up in the next week or so. The NFL is still fitfully kind of making its way through. Football is a sport that leads itself to greater interpersonal exposure between players than most. I mean, the NBA, there would be a lot of it, the NHL, but again, they were in a bubble. Football is not in a bubble. you got guys constantly tackling each other. 
the testing has been a key to being able to get this far at the pro level and at the college level, but even at the college level, we keep seeing outbreaks here. Dan Mullen, in the span of a couple of days, goes for calling for a full swamp to finding out that won't be the case, to finding out there won't be a football game, to finding out that he's got COVID. What a week it was for Dan Mullen. And uh, again, how optimistic are you at this point in time that we are going to make this to the end of the season? I think we'll, I think we'll make it, Rick, but the problem is there'll be more games canceled because as the weather gets colder, especially in the northern cities, I expect some more outbreaks to happen in certain, you know, in certain, certain cities where as when it gets colder, might be more cancellations. It's just, it's just kind of right now. It's like around 33, 34 games that have been canceled or postponed because of COVID. I mean, and, the, and the one thing that stands out to me the most as I watch these games, right? Anyone play defense? I know the CDC recommends social distancing, <laughs> but this lack of tackling is ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I think Richard Sherman was a pioneer of social distancing if you go back to the Super Bowl, wasn't he? Because he was getting social distanced right out the building by the Chiefs receivers. But I want to ask you about that because this is something we talked about a little bit off air. Because again, in the NFL, you were seeing a lot of offense this year as well. So this is a situation where, and again, and we've seen the bleed over to the NFL in the last decade of some of these college schematics making their way through. Patrick Mahomes running essentially uh, the same offense in Kansas City that you would see at many college places. Uh, it, it used to be that stuff was thought to be too gimmicky to work in the NFL, and now the NFL's making use of it. And coincidentally or not, we are having the highest scoring year the NFL's ever seen, I believe, to this point. In college, you have Mike Le uh, Leach coming to the SEC and some thought there that, oh, he's going to change the landscape of the SEC. Maybe not so much after that first game there. But what I wonder is, it, how much of this do you put on the advanced offensive schematics, uh, the spreading out uh, of players, their social distancing, if you will, as far as spreading the receivers on the field and going at it this way? And how much of it do you put on the mere notion that in this year, Without a traditional offseason at either the pro or college levels, the offenses are just quite simply ahead of the defenses, and this might be a one-year spike. I think this is going to be a one-year spike because there was no practice in that offseason. There was no, like, you know, less practice, less touch. And we sort of had them lately, though, with Navy. They had twin touch practice, and they, and they got shut out 55 nothing against BYU because they didn't, they didn't do any tackling. So I think it's a lot of it is, is because it's not just the norm, just you know, so the lack of practice, the lack of social distancing. Also, I mean, I mean the offenses are, you know, are, are more of a spread offense. We saw what Columbus, you know, did against against Alabama a couple. Yeah, and uh, again, we're seeing these, uh, it's very interesting when you see something like uh, the elements of the air raid coming to the SEC in places that aren't necessarily used to dealing with it because there's this sense uh, that uh, that's not what works in that part of the country, but I don't believe that. I think that kind of schematic works anywhere, and I think you're seeing that play itself out. And in terms of the season to this point, the earliest part of the season, and I could tell from your stuff from the Gridiron Access uh, page on Facebook and from some of the things you were posting uh, on Facebook, that uh, you were definitely watching more of the early games than I was. Uh, early on here, all you basically had was the mid-majors, independents the first couple of weeks here uh, as we got off to this rolling start with the season. And as you pointed out to me off air, it has been an opportunity for some folks to get some uh, moments in the sun, like Coastal Carolina cracking the top 25 for however long that would last. 
yeah, you've had a couple of teams that have set out the first couple weeks here. Arkansas State, Kansas State, you start yet, you know, Louisiana, Lafayette, you know, they got you know, a couple of these teams. Whoever the year on is, he's not defeated at 5 and 0. I mean, they, 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 they killed Syracuse last week, but, I mean, it's given the Sun Belt, you know, or some people refer to it as the Fun Belt, some extra, some extra exposure on TV because ordinarily, they only get as much TV time as they, as they, as they receive, right? Yeah, and uh, again, it was it, it just one more kind of unique thing where uh, Labor Day weekend, the first couple weekends of the season, it was basically these folks that sort of had the landscape to themselves. It was the weekend of September 26th, of course, that the SEC came back, and uh, that marked for a lot of people the start of when this really kind of started to get going. And we have already seen some uh, defining moments in the college football season through the course of this campaign. I know that a uh, good friend and fellow FDH Lounge original dignitary Nate Noy was a little bit dubious about the two versus three Alabama-Georgia game, for example. He said, ah, both these teams are going to end up in the playoff probably no matter what. I don't know that you could necessarily say that after what happened to Georgia this past Saturday night. So a defining moment in the season with Alabama able to go out there put a, uh, a statement win on uh, Georgia, 22-0 and Saban now is against his former assistants, and a game that we didn't even think Saban would be coaching up until game time because of his COVID test that they're now saying was a false positive. So that game, that week, almost a microcosm of this super weird season. Yeah, it definitely has been. Alabama's been dominant. Clemson's been dominant. I mean, as of now, of course, I think they're on a collision to the championship. I think they definitely are, and uh, in the uh, the SEC, there have been some teams. Uh, my Tennessee Volunteers looked a little bit better than expected earlier on, have, have since kind of stubbed the toe a little bit subsequently here. Uh, again, it's not uh, always been smooth sailing for Florida to this point in time either, although, again, they are still looking like a team that is capable uh, potentially of winning uh, the SEC East over in the uh, Western Division. I think one of the big shocks, I would say, to the mainstream, if not to regular college football fans, the more hardcore fans, I'm sure, looked at LSU and the way that they were picked apart by the NFL draft this past year and said uh, it might be a little more difficult for them this year. But, uh, boy, I don't think any of us expect that LSU uh, stumbling to the extent that they have this year. No, I, I didn't expect that at all. I mean, I think they struggled, not to get destiny, but by Michigan State Week 1, Yeah, and that's the thing here, too, is that you, you can do that and, and look on paper, right? That was the best move they could have made because Jimbo Fisher was a guy who had turned around a Florida State program that was kind of, uh, you know, in, in the doldrums a little bit in the late Bobby Bowden era, got them to and won a national championship. And that was something where you, you can look at that and say, this is what we want to do. We want to take a coach who's shown himself capable of doing this, throw this money at him, have him do this here. But to do it in the SEC and in the SEC uh, West Division, you're, you're looking at a division where you got Saban, you got Malzone, now at the Mississippi schools, Leach, and Kiffin, uh, so this is a thing where you you have 
extremely difficult competition in that division. I mean, if you're if you're looking at a roster of coaches in a division, I don't know if you've ever seen one in football history. And I can say that because the, the divisional concept only goes back to, what, 92 when the SEC split up, when they expanded. So we're talking a period of uh, right around 30 years or so. I don't know if we've ever seen a deeper roster of coaches in a division and uh, again, counting on A and M to pole vault all of them, I just don't know how realistic that is. I think mean, I think that's tough. The one thing I gotta say about this is the SEC is playing a ten game schedule, uh, conference schedule, first time ever. I mean, these teams are going to be beating up on each other every week. And I'm not saying like it's across the board to play one so They were one of the worst teams in the year in that in that conference. They've been playing other one two games. They they just won't call. Well, yeah, and uh, I knew as I was talking to you here, I knew I was forgetting somebody, and duh, Ed Orgeron, coach of the defending national champions, who a year ago I would have probably put at uh, sixth out of those six coaches, and lo and behold, he has a career year, he wins a national championship, and uh, again, he's got the LSU program uh, at a very strong place this year, uh, notwithstanding. So yeah, A&M climbing up. Uh, boy, they'd have a much better chance if they were still in the Big 12, no question about that. I guess uh, let's pivot to that point, looking at that, because the signature programs of the Big 12, to whatever degree, uh, Texas and Oklahoma have been marked by underachievement the last couple of years. Tom Herman has not taken Texas to the next level yet, and for Lincoln Riley and Oklahoma, it's hard to look at them and criticize too much, but it is fair to say that when you look at that top tier in college football, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma is just sort of grasping at the edge of that. They're not there. And with with some early season kicks in the teeth this year, uh, it's looking like it might be a little bit more heartbreaking of of a year than usual in the Lincoln-Riley era. Well, Oklahoma, well, it's more more of a a Texas than more of a disappointment. Yes, that's true, and uh, that was a big win there, and uh, they needed it, and that that was that was a game that both programs needed more than usual at this point. Usually, in the last couple of years, I think it's been Texas who needs it a little bit more, but Oklahoma coming in uh, really kind of needed it as well. And uh, again, the, the Big 12 just looks the way it's kind of looked the last couple of years, like it's not going to uh, yield a legitimate national championship contender. And, and again, going back to uh, my colleague Nate Noy's earlier uh, observation about uh, Alabama and Georgia, uh, that's where it sort of leads to the thought on his part, part that uh, the SEC might end up yielding two teams this year, if only by default, right? If only by the fact that when you look around, I mean, you got to figure Clemson's coming out of the ACC, and we'll talk about that in a second here. Ohio State, a very strong candidate to come out of the Big Ten. But then, aside from the SEC champion, where do you get the fourth spot? Probably won't be the Big 12. Could it be the Pac-12 when they get going later on? Eh, Maybe, but they haven't yielded any legitimate contenders in recent years. So I don't know if it's too late for Georgia after the game that they played the other night or, or who that fourth team might be. But I do agree with Nate. I think there's a strong chance it's coming out of the SEC. I wonder what you think. Well, and it's possible that two teams have the SEC because uh, because they hand hands down to playing the toughest schedule. Yeah. And with, with the Pac-12, the only the Pac the Pac the Pac-12 sports, they are only playing they only playing not playing them as many games. So if they if they lose that outbreak and they lose any games, the level of work I mean is going to be very tough. So it's going to be 
Yeah, and again, they've really stubbed their toe in recent years on non-conference games, the, some of the bigger ones, like, uh, what was it, Auburn-Washington, I think, from a year or two ago, and losing games like that. They don't even have the opportunity with the intersectional games being out of the mix this year. You were going to have Ohio State and Oregon earlier in the year. Very, very coincidental that that game, I'm sure, would have been scrapped anyways because that game was at the height of the West Coast wildfires. And I think it was probably unplayable in Oregon that weekend had the virus not stopped it. But uh, looking at the ACC, this is... A year that we will always remember for the ACC, not necessarily because of the champion and how it goes, because that's overwhelmingly likely to be Clemson yet again, but a year when Notre Dame plays a conference schedule, which is a rarity for them, of course. So how do you how do you see this going with uh, Notre Dame making its way through the ACC? Well, Notre Dame has Yeah, and they're going to find out ultimately really where they stand. And uh, much like it's been for Miami the last couple times they played them, it may be a little bit painful on their part. Looking ahead to uh, some of the teams that are yet to get going, of course, this is opening weekend for the Big Ten, uh, the latest one that they've ever had easily. And in a year when we didn't think we'd be having Big Ten football, uh, ultimately up until September when the decision to cancel the season was reversed. And again, as we said before, how long is it going to last? We will wait and see. But for right now, uh, they're going to be getting going. And as a matter of fact, uh, I was just reading a thing today that they're doing a shelter in place uh, for uh, much, if not all, of the University of Michigan campus. And they are exempting the football players from that, of course, which uh, ultimately is an, it, that's a microcosm right there for how football is above so many things in society that the football players would be exempted from that so that uh, we can keep the mighty football program going. But it's a situation where coming into uh, what will be year three for uh, the Ohio State program under Ryan Day, or I'm sorry, year two, uh, it just it feels like it's been longer than that because he started the year in uh, 2018 as the head coach. We're already in a situation where Ohio State feels like sort of the prohibitive favorite in the Big Ten. I'm not going to say necessarily the same level of distance above the conference that Clemson has carved out in the ACC. I don't think it's to that degree yet, but it's jarring how different it was from a year ago when Ryan Day came in, inherited the program from Urban Meyer, and there were a lot of teams in the conference thinking, ah, Urban Meyer's gone, maybe this is our opportunity, maybe Penn State, maybe we can step up, Michigan, maybe we can finally uh, quit swallowing the ball gag against Ohio State. There were teams that had hope a year ago, and a year later, it almost feels like Ohio State is more solidified, mostly because they just keep that outstanding recruiting going. Well, I think it's been dominated for 10 years. I mean, this year you have Ohio State, you have yeah, and really, uh, again, at, uh, at at both Michigan schools, it's uh, it's a pivotal year. You got Mel Tucker at uh, Michigan uh, State as the new head coach as the uh, D'Antonio era comes to an end. 
But, uh, I, I, again, whether it be Kirk Ferentz at Iowa, Scott Frost at Nebraska, uh, Paul Christ at uh, Wisconsin, they, they all seem like they're fighting for second place right now in the conference behind Ohio State. That's the commonality with all of them, it seems like. Yeah, that, that's what that, that's what it does definitely seem like you know, in, in this division, Rick. Yeah, and uh, as much as I said recruiting, by the way, I will say this, as a guy who watches just about every Ohio State game, uh, not least of which because my dad is an alum and uh, therefore a team that I root for, uh, and again, you talk to any people who watch the Buckeyes regularly, uh, Urban Meyer did tend to be a little bit stubborn sometimes, like with how long he stuck with J.T. Barrett, and, and the schematics on some of the things that he would do and the stubbornness that he would show and the, 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 the tendency to trot out a stinker of a game against whether it be a Purdue or an Iowa, as was the case in his last couple of years there. The thing with Ryan Day last year, for a, a guy who just has got this sort of all-business kind of type mentality about him, the team last year was steadier. They didn't stub their toe in any of those kind of games. And ultimately, this Ohio State team, if they don't stub their toe, they look like they're going to the Final Four. I definitely, I definitely agree with that, Rick. They, they, they've been hands down the team always to beat in the conference. And plus, every year, they always beat Michigan, whatever the game is. Yeah, and uh, this year, I'm sure it's for the first time that that game is going to take place in December. And uh, as they are on a belated schedule, much like the Pac-12 who will be getting going here subsequently during the season and playing, as you pointed out, a really abbreviated schedule. And uh, so, again, the teams that have been the perennial contenders atop the conference the last couple of years, uh, whether it be Washington, no longer with Chris Peterson, whether it be Oregon, Stanford is always in the mix uh, year-to-year, USC, it, it's a win or else year, but we've said that the last couple of years there as well. Uh, Utah has been a team that has been somewhat emergent the last couple of years and uh, actually came pretty close to making uh, the college football playoff. So the Pac-12, that's been sort of the problem, right? It's been a very competitive conference. A lot of teams that are good, in some cases pretty good, but nobody great. They end up beating each other up. Nobody is left standing atop the heap undisputed at the end of this thing here with with no losses or just one quality loss. And uh, again, even with playing an abbreviated schedule, Fran, it looks like more of the same to me. Like one of these teams is not going to be able to run the gamut. What do you think? I agree because the only team that on paper has a chance to get into the Final Four is Oregon because they've they, they been like the best team in the conference, but every year they always stumble some team on some team every year. The thing is, they only make a six-game schedule, and with the crazy COVID outbreaks out west, only have, if those games get canceled, they are screwed. But yeah, that's true. And uh, yeah, the Pac-12, they may be the conference that is least likely to make it to the end. Anyways, they were the ones the most hesitant about getting this thing back going again, and it sort of feels a little bit kind of half-hearted on their part, like they're going to do it because everybody else is. So yeah, they. Uh, I, I don't know that Vegas has taken bets on what conference is going to be the first one to pull the plug, but if they were, I'd probably lay money on the Pac-12. Uh, but uh, although, again, the, the, the entirety of the country, I think, is in for a rough three months as far as rising caseloads and everything else. So there will be challenges galore everywhere. When you look at, ultimately here, the end of the season, the college football playoff, it seems like the more things change, the more they stay the same because you take out 
LSU last year. LSU essentially coming out of the SEC, they took the place of where Alabama had been the last several years. So LSU going into the college football playoff as the number one seed, uh, they were able to bypass uh, both Clemson and Ohio State in the first round. A year later, the three defining teams of the college football playoff era, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, it would seem like, and I don't know, if, I guess you'd say it comes down to style points, schedule, whatever the case may be, and you have to like Alabama's chances in, in all these ways, as you said, because of the schedule that they're playing. It would seem to me like it's paramount, like it was for LSU a year ago, Get that number one seed because, again, Clemson, in the end, and they've had Ohio State's number 3-0 and since Urban Meyer took over the program uh, in 2012. 2-0 against Urban Meyer, now 1-0 against Ryan Day, hand, handing him his only loss as Ohio State head football coach. Uh, would you agree that it is extremely paramount to try to grab that number one spot? Because I wouldn't necessarily say it's a bye to the national championship game, but it's got to be a plus not they have to play a brutal national semifinal like Clemson did last year and route to the game. I, th- I think that's definitely the case because whatever the, the two team is, I think they're going to be they're playing Ohio State. Well, if it's if it's if it's Clemson or if it's Alabama, you're going to be playing Ohio State. That's be a brutal game to play of going to you know head to head to move on to the championship. Yeah, I would think that that would be uh, the case. You're going to want to avoid that at all costs. And right now, again, Alabama is in the driver's seat for that. Uh, do you agree that Alabama, This because this is my sense, uh, even if, I mean, let's say they drop somehow or another the SEC championship game in a rematch to Georgia. I think George, if it was the SEC championship game, Georgia is the only team I could see beating them. I couldn't see it being Florida or certainly well, not Tennessee at this well, point. Well, the thing is, if Alabama is number one, number one going into, you know, into the uh, SEC championship, they lose, they'll get, they'll get in regardless. Yep. That was what I was about to say. So you agree with me on that then, that they're, they're going to make it no matter what if, if they're undefeated going into the SEC championship game. I mean, they're probably looking at being the four seed, but I, I, ironically, well, it, well, I, I would say that would make things easier because they'll bypass Ohio, Ohio State and Clemson, but no, they wouldn't. They'll have to play one of them because one of those two will be the one seed then. But still, if you're Alabama and you lose that game, you're going to be grateful to just be in it uh, nevertheless. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know who in the West might be able to knock them off. Uh, certainly LSU is not looking good as far as the kind of season that they're having. But, uh, yeah, I, I, so we're in agreement on that point then that uh, Alabama, should they make it to the SEC championship game undefeated, will be able to uh, do that. It, it's interesting, too, because I don't know that the committee necessarily takes these things into account, but uh, you would be looking at Alabama-Georgia 3 if it comes to that. In the uh, in the national semifinals potentially, or in the uh, the national championship game, uh, they we did have a national championship game of Alabama Georgia a couple of years ago. So uh, I'm sure that the committee is uh, okay with that possibility. They want to take uh, the four best teams. They want to take the four teams that have the biggest uh, followings that they can for TV. Certainly, you get two teams out of uh, the SEC. And uh, you're going to have that. Uh, is, is this a year, possibly, when you're looking at the uh, the mid-majors, if you will, uh, where one of them might be able to potentially rise up and get one of those spots here? Uh, I mean, let, let's say Ohio State stubs its toe somewhere along the line and maybe they get beaten by a two, you know, or, you know. Uh, maybe uh, let's, let's say like a two-loss Wisconsin team beats them in the Big Ten championship game. I mean... 
if things break just the right way, could it be one of these mid-majors just sort of by default for that fourth spot? Well, right now, Cincinnati has the best shot. They're ranked 8th in the AP poll, and uh, they're playing a great a great game at SMU this week. They still have to play Central Florida, Memphis. That conference is good. I mean, they, they run and gun. They, they score tons of points. UCF scores 1,000 points, but they, they unfortunately don't have a kicker that can clean clutch field goal like when they lost to Memphis last week. But, uh, I mean, they, they see the fun conference to watch. Cincinnati, I mean, they, you know, I mean, they, they, if they go undefeated, they have a shot. BYU, unfortunately, are independent. agree with that as well. It ain't 1984 anymore. BYU is going to need a little bit more uh, than that to be able to uh, to break into that tier. Cincinnati, yeah, it's uh, Luke Fickle's done a heck of a job with that program, and uh, for, for a guy who's a very nice guy and a smart guy, it's good that he's been able to do something to where he's going to be remembered as something other than the bridge between Urban Meyer and uh, Jim Trussell at Ohio State, because that was a tough year and a thankless year in 2011 for him. But uh, he's done a great job at uh, Cincinnati. In, in the end here, uh, again, Ohio State, uh, they do have some uh, questions to answer as far as uh, they return a lot of talent. Uh, but, uh, again, it, it's just been very, very tough for them to get over the hump with Clemson. So in the end, I would still give the edge, uh, and I would say reluctantly from my fan point of view, I'd give the edge to Clemson in a national semifinal, Alabama to make it to the national championship game. And based on uh, the, the wholeness of the team, if you will, I mean, Clemson looks like a better team to me top to bottom than, than Alabama. There's been some questions about Alabama's defense at various points in the season. You know, gun to my head at this early point, I would probably lean towards Clemson over Alabama in the national championship. How does it kind of stack up to you, Frank? I agree with you, but I think Clemson over Alabama. Trevor Lawrence, I'm a Jets fan. I hope they tank for, tank for, uh, they, they tank for Trevor because uh, he might be able to turn the franchise around with the right coach in place down the road. Well, yeah, and that's a thing where uh, to anybody outside of the Jets fan base, I think they look at that like, Geez, that team might have ruined Sam Darnold, which is a tragedy, and it would be a, probably a bigger tragedy in a football talent sense to ruin Trevor Lawrence, uh, as rare of a talent as he is. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of Jet fans that might be looking at that hungrily, but there's a lot of people, I'm sure, as you know, friend, with your perspective with gridiron access, you know fr- fans and all the fan bases out there. Those outside the Jets fan base are just kind of wincing at the thought of that guy's career possibly getting wasted. Yeah, it's, it definitely is scary. But the thing is, just bringing the right coach, I think Trevor Lawrence will, will be fine with the Jets. Because the Jets, were, you, know, you're, you know, I mean, they were they at least were competitive for a while, unlike your Browns are now on a resurgence a little bit. Pretty much so, although, and I'm glad you mentioned that here, because I, I didn't see it uh, this week on Gridiron Access. Maybe I missed it, but uh, in past weeks, uh, you've linked that poll on Baker Mayfield uh, from week to week, and I've given him a B consistently. Had I seen it this week, I would have said D- minus or F after that Steeler performance. So I'm not sitting here with rose-colored glasses, because I have more questions substantially than I did going into that game about the guy. So just to let you know, I'm not being a homer about it, Fran. <laughs> oh, that's that definitely true. One thing I have to say: did, did you agree with the Associated Press putting, um, you know, Big Big Ten and Pac-12 teams in the top twenty-five without them playing eight games? I mean, 
I think so, just because, again, they do preseason polls, don't they? So that's sort of, you know, you're, you're stacking up teams before you, you've even seen them previously. And so I think it comes from the static perspective, right, of you're taking what you thought of them before the season, because we're still before the season, and you're matching them up. It may seem like apples and oranges when you're comparing them to teams that have actually played games, but... I think it's I think it's valid to do. I understand that it looks and feels weird, but uh, it, this is a thing where I think you don't want to completely water down what it means to be in the top 25, for example, and to where teams would make it in there. I mean, if if you've got you know 10 teams in the top 25 that are all mid-majors simply because they've been playing football at this point, I think that's what they were trying to avoid. Is too much of a historical yeah. asterisk. I, I, I think it was responsible because fans were wanting a social media any team that has to play uh, has to play the game it shouldn't be ranked, but that's how social media works works right. Yeah, and believe me, I get how it looks and feels weird because so many things about this year do. And uh, again, that's that's just what you're going to have. I'm hoping we can make it all the way through the college football landscape. I know in the case of the NFL, they're prepared to keep pushing this thing back further and further if need be to get in a 16-game schedule for each of the teams and then get the playoffs in as they need to. And uh, there is that flexibility there. With college, where you have to at least pay lip service to the educational side of the spectrum here, I don't know that they have as much flexibility. I have a harder time seeing this thing roll straight into February, for example, but... uh, it will be very interesting to see when push comes to shove uh, if they end up doing but let's do, it. But let's be honest, Rick. I mean, the reason why they're, they're playing in the first place and, and canceling games and doing all these headaches is for TV money. Yeah. So they can, so they can, so they can um, pay for all these sports. You know, they have like your Ohio State Bobcats wrestling team because they would never play if it wasn't for the college. Millions of dollars of college football is giving them with the TV contracts. Well, that's true. And uh, again, uh, along the lines of what you're saying, if I'm going to sit here and be super cynical, uh, what is February in the TV business? Sweeps month. So the notion that we end up having college football and some of their biggest games rolling into the month of February, uh, this isn't necessarily something you could rule out at this point. Uh, I know, obviously, they want to get everything in before the NFL draft, at the very least in late April, which I have to say from my very mournful perspective here in the city of Cleveland, Ohio, where where I am located uh, in, on America's north coast, or roughly in Cleveland, as it were. Uh, we are looking forward to that, having it here. Going to be a big old event. Looks like it's going to be, uh, you know, probably not too much different than last year, uh, as it happens. I had friends that were going to be coming in from out of town. It was going to be wonderful to go downtown and be part of the throng with hundreds of thousands of people. But uh, that looks like one more thing that ain't going to happen because of the old pandemic. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we can only pray that but hopefully by the spring there's a vaccine and things can turn back to normal. I certainly hope so. But uh, in the meantime, uh, if you're looking at all these different things here, and as uh, former Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld once spoke of the known knowns and unknown unknowns, we've never been through anything like this. And uh, so generally speaking, when you do that, the best way that you can do it is just get the smartest people on that you can find to deal with on these subjects and help you kind of break it down. And when it comes to all things football, you can't do any better than Fran Stuckberry. Fran, a true pleasure as always, my friend. Thank you for being here and lending your expertise again. Thank you, Rick. I, I do have to admit, there is a hot mic out there that at least telling people that 
you are the hardest working sports broadcaster in this industry for all the great work you do. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I was hoping it wasn't a hot mic along the lines of whatever Jeffrey Tubin was using, but uh, I'm glad to have anything where anybody puts me over. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1292.